This is Matthew Parrott. Cambridge 105 Radio. Now it's Thursday, just gone half past five, so it must be time for Sean Lang, who joins me now for his uh, review of the week's news. Good afternoon, Sean. Good afternoon, Matthew. So, um, I mean, lots to talk about today, yes. and, uh, but no news for Dominic Raab tonight. No, uh, and this is one of those ones where you read in something into this, I think, because had it been um, a clean bill of health, I can imagine that we would have heard that within seconds of it, of it being uh, delivered. Uh, so, um, yes, the uh, this long-awaited report into these allegations of bullying against the Deputy Prime Minister... Um, and clearly, weighty enough to bring in a senior uh, senior lawyer. I was going to say QC, KC nowadays, isn't it? Um, and uh, and the report. I mean, what the BBC site was saying through most of the day was that it was with the Prime Minister. Um, and so, so again, you that yeah, he's been scrutinised. Yes, he's been clearly day. reading it in a lot of detail. Yes, uh, so uh, so it must must be something worth reading. But we'll hear, uh, I presume, tomorrow, and um, just exactly what he's going to do about whatever it is that it says. Mm. And of course, Rishi's got his own problems, hasn't he? He certainly has. Yes, and this is um, uh, this, this is related to his wife's involvement with uh, a, a, a company. A sort of uh, childcare child company. Childcare agency, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. And whether or not it was it was um, recorded in the Register of Interests. But leaving aside the details of it, this is all, uh, it seems to me, about the battle that's going on between him and indeed Keir Starmer, and it's both sides doing it, uh, trying to essentially tarnish each other's image with a view to uh, the election next year. Um, I mean, we had the probe into Rishi Sunak's affairs, again, in, involving his, his wife, uh, gosh, and losing track of time a year ago uh, or so. Um, and I think this is, the, the, the sort of political narrative here is that by comparison with Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak was always Mr Squeaky Clean. Mm. Um, and again, during lockdown, it was he who came up with the furlough scheme. So in, you know, he was the one who, if you like, who had a good lockdown. And that posed a problem, I think, for Labour as to how to respond to that. And what we've seen in the last week has been these really quite nasty um, messages being, you know, you know, these sort of, uh, what was it, uh, He does, does you, do you believe that child abuse should go to prison and Rishi Sunak doesn't or something like that, you know. Um, so this is, this is very much, as to use the Latin phrase, ad hominem, in other words, personal abuse being being thrown. And anything which can really tarnish the Mr Squeaky Clean image um, will, be, will be welcome to Labour. Um, and the biggest thing, in a sense, to use against Rishi Sunak is that he is, of course, phenomenally wealthy. Mm. Um, I've always felt Labour miscalculate on this one because I don't think people necessarily resent others being being wealthy. What they resent is if there's any sort of breaking of the rules in their favour. That's what people tend to, uh, to to resent. And that's really what this is about. This is about, um, yes, he's wealthy and that there's some sort of shady links on the rules, that he's bending the rules uh, in, in his favour. And, of course, what you're getting the other way is also aimed at Keir Starmer. Personally, this is this, uh, uh, what was it, uh, softy, um, uh, you know, being soft on on, on uh, law and order. So this is all part of what's becoming, already becoming, and this is with, for general election sometime in the autumn of next year, most likely a pretty nasty personal um, you know, campaign that's going on on both sides, targeting the two leaders. They must have some interesting conversations over dinner, I think, Rishi and his, his wife, you know, because a lot of things relate to her business interests, don't they? <laughs> that's right, yes, yes. <laughs> must, be, uh, and must be quite separate, hard to Another separate, fine mess you got me into, yeah, dear. <laughs> separate the personal and the, and yeah. the political. 
OK, um, not so good for the SNPs either this week with the um, the new First Minister, Humza Yousaf. Just when he was trying to set out <laughs> his plans for Scotland, things went a bit awry, yeah, didn't he they? His treasurer's been, uh, been arrested. I mean, this is um, quite a remarkable story because it's been going on for, well, ever since Nicola Sturgeon uh, resigned and it started almost the very next day. Um, and it's, it's like watching a car crash in slow motion because you're watching the implosion of the mighty um, Scottish National Party. And um, it's, I mean, it's a very bad thing for Scotland as a whole. And I don't think your personal view on independence or nationalism is necessarily the point here because... And this is, you know, this has been the dominant party in, in Scottish government for the last what ten years or so, and um, it's in some ways it's a sort of tragedy. I don't mean in terms of any individual, but that you've got a party coming in to some extent from outside. In other words, it's not one of the main ones, the mainstream ones. And what tends to happen, you know, thinks about the Greens, one thinks about the, you know, the Nationalist parties, um, anyone really who who sort of comes in and makes a big thing about getting into power. And um, particularly if they got a particular, as the Scottish National Party had a particular mission, you know, obviously independence for them. And power is, uh, they say that you campaign in poetry and and uh, govern in prose. And power brings all sorts of more mundane um, issues. You know, you've got to deal with education, you've got to deal with health, you've got to deal with the roads and all the rest of it. And what we're really seeing is, I suppose, the death of a dream. Um, I mean, there was, the dream was the uh, referendum and failing that to get a second referendum. And of course, what makes it worse is that that's really what this is all about. It's about the money raised to campaign for a second referendum and what happened to the money. And since you sort of present your party as being different from the Conservatives, different from Labour, better, and the implication is, of course, that you're sort of more moral, then these things hit you even worse, I think, than they would the mainstream parties. So, yeah, I, I think uh, this has got a long way to run yet. And, I mean, I've said it, I've seen it written, and I'm sure this is right, that, you know, at some point the police will turn their attention to Nicola Sturgeon if they haven't already. Um, I think we must be prepared for that. Uh, so, uh, and, of course, politically for the other parties, this suddenly opens up all sorts of possibilities which have implications for the whole of the country because that's where Labour must hope to... To gain their majority and that's really why they lost their majority that they, they were so wiped out in Scotland so this has got huge implications for everyone whatever your views on independence for Scotland and finally on, on the world stage it's been uh, the 25 year anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement yes and it's interesting that you say the world stage because it is absolutely on the world stage um, this is something of course in which the United States played a, a major role and more recently of course the EU has been playing a role in terms of the Northern Ireland Protocol um, and it, it was, uh, I suppose it's good timing that, was it last year when Derry Girls had its finale and that was all about the Good Friday Agreement and that sort of brought everything to a really quite an emotional ending and it was a reminder of just what an achievement it was. It was very important that it was on Good Friday. I mean, obviously we just come out of Easter um, because this was to end um, that long period of violence which we call the Troubles and anyone who lived through it will remember how it just didn't seem possible this this would ever end and in a sense it, I, I would put alongside something like the fall of the Berlin Wall only a few years earlier um, in that it brought to an end a conflict which just seemed to be never ending um, and it did it engendered a huge amount of hope and the idea that I mean, a, it's good therefore to look back on it um, as, we, as we've seen and, to, um, and, and of course it does give American presidents the chance to sort of parade their Irishness which in Joe Biden 
Martin's case is half true. I mean, when you look at his family tree, he's at least as much English as he is Irish, but he doesn't like to mention that. Uh, and you have Bill Clinton, um, who, as far as I know, has got no Irish in him at all, but nevertheless, effectively sort of associating himself with it. So it's got that angle, inevitably. Um, but I think, really, it's a, a reminder of just how important it was and how, therefore, it's so important not to jeopardise the peace that it created. Um, I mean, it is under threat, and of course we haven't got a functioning government in Northern Ireland um, at the moment to, to mark the 20th, 25th anniversary. So it's, it wasn't the end of the story, but let's hope at any rate that it proved the end of the violence.